Joe, he, uh, he's single. Uh, and so I just wanted you to know that he is working a, a part-time job. Um, and so just, okay, honestly, he told me to say that. Um, he, he actually paid me a little bit. Um, no. Um, you know, I remember Joe when he first came to Living Hope. And, you know, one of the things I love about Living Hope is that I wish uh, we did like a before and after, uh, you know, what they were like when they first got here. And then over the course of time, just how much God has grown them and is using them because he is, he's everywhere uh, serving and he is going on uh, missions this summer. And so uh, it's so exciting. You know, I know you have this little uh, postcard. In a few weeks, uh, we are going to celebrate together as a church the greatest single event in human history, and that's the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Uh, there's nothing greater than, than uh, Easter. And so we're going to celebrate that. But as we do so, uh, this little postcard is not just for you, but it's so that you can invite somebody else who does not know, or maybe they have heard, but they've kind of strayed away a little bit, or they're not connected to a church. Uh, please invite them. In fact, uh, this, is, uh, this is my son. He's in kindergarten. This is Isaiah's. Uh, he has a best friend at his uh, kindergarten school in, in his elementary. And during second service, he wrote his friend's name. And so we're going to stuff this in his backpack, and he's going to give it to his friend tomorrow. And so uh, just invite a friend. Uh, and you never know. They might be the next Joe. And again, Joe is single. Okay. Uh, well, good morning. I'm still here. You can't give me the boot just yet. Not yet. Okay. Hey, if you could take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 3. And as you turn there, you know, I remember when uh, my days as a high school pastor, uh, every uh, once a year, we would take this annual trip down to Mexico uh, because we would work with this parachurch organization uh, where we would kind of build like this little house in one day. It was a really simple house. We just used wood, nail and hammer, and we, we would take pretty much all day to build this house. And it was really funny because it became very evident early on who was used to using a hammer and nails and who was not. Because, you know, the people who, who would work there uh, and serve there, I mean, like with three just slam hammers, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, the nail is perfectly in. Uh, it's just beautiful, right? And the wood is just nice, uh, nicely kind of tucked in there. But for the rest of us, I mean, we're taking this little hammer, we're using two of our hands and we're just, I mean, like 26 times, right? And just uh, the nail is going crooked and so forth. The reason why I share this is because this morning, I, I'm not going to hammer in a new idea for us. Uh, in fact, what I'm, what I'm just going to do is hammer in an, an idea that has been hammered in for the previous last few weeks by Pastor Steve and so forth. Because if you're joining us for the first time, we're, our church, we're going through the book of Romans. We're talking about the gospel of God. And what we've learned is really that God is kind of bringing up a case against all of humanity. I mean, it does not matter if you're religious, if you call yourself irreligious, spiritual, non-spiritual, whether you grew up in a spiritual environment or whether you call yourself totally just, no, I'm just rational. It doesn't matter. God has a case for everyone, against everyone. And so this morning, I'm simply going to take that same idea and really try to pound it home for us. And so uh, if you're kind of taking notes and so forth, here's kind of the big idea this morning. The big idea is no one is righteous. No one is righteous. Apart from Jesus, we all stand guilty before God as sinners. 
I mean, we have a massive sin problem, and this is the case for all of humanity. I love the summary kind of statement that Paul uses. If you look with me in chapter 3, verse 9, Paul writes, he puts it this way. He says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. So uh, you notice the the, uh, universal language that Paul Paul is, is saying. He's like, Greeks. Jews, irrelevant, everyone guilty as sinners. No one is righteous. So all of us here this morning, all of humanity, political affiliation, irrelevant race, irrelevant uh, gender, irrelevant, all of humanity, every single one of us, uh, apart from Christ, we are under sin. No one is righteous, no, not one. Now, uh, this morning, if you've kind of been here and you've had faithful attendance, you're like, I know. Uh, Like, I know, like I've been here every single Sunday the last few weeks. This is the same nail that you guys have been just hammering in. I get it, I get it, I get it. But I think what Paul's gonna do for us this morning is he wants to show the depth, how deep this idea that no one is righteous. Because it's a little bit more than just, oh, you're you're just bad. It's a little bit deeper than that. And so what Paul does is he takes a bunch of different Old Testament passages and he kind of strings it together to highlight not just the fact that no one is righteous, but how deep this problem goes. In fact, look with me, uh, continuing in verse 10. uh, Paul puts it this way. He says, as as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Okay, so, so is, Paul, is Paul being serious here? Or is he being a little like hyperbolic? Is he doing that whole Jewish kind of exaggeration thing that they used to do, the rabbis would? I mean, like really, no one does good? No one is righteous? Not even one? I mean, Seriously? And I think what Paul is trying to do in utilizing these Old Testament passages is he's really trying to show the depth of what he really means when he says, no one is righteous. See, what he's trying to show is that this idea, the sin problem for humanity, it is not just a, an action problem. Meaning, uh, it's not just because we have, out of our moral and behavior, we have sinned. It's not that we've done bad things. It's not that we have not done the good things that we ought to have. It's more than that. I think what Paul is trying to show is that the sin problem is more than just an action problem, but here it is. It's a condition problem. Meaning it goes deeper than just what we do, but our very nature, who we are as people, there is a fallenness to our nature, which drives all of our actions. It's kind of like the way that my youth pastor used to kind of drill it into uh, my mind. I mean, I would show up on Friday night and I'd be like, hey, PT, you know, that's what we used to call him, hey, PT. And what he would say is, uh, you are not a sinner because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. And I'd be like, Good seeing you too, right? It's just, but his point, his point was, his point was that uh, sinful action does not drive sinful condition, but it is that out of the sinful condition that is our reality comes forth sinful action. See, the sin problem for humanity it is much deeper than just our behavior. It's more than just action. It is sinful condition. It is something much deeper. Maybe I can kind of illustrate it this way. Uh, there are very, very few of us who are into the apocalyptic zombie genre. And the three of us that are, you just kind of came online right now. You're like, this is the sermon illustration I've been waiting for, right? Uh, 
And you know, it's, 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 it's the premise is, it's, everything's the exact same thing, right? But the premise is, the world is good, everyone's minding their own business, but an outbreak, a virus breaks out, and so you have to be careful. And so every movie, it's the exact same thing. A guy wakes up in a hospital, and oh my gosh, things are different. He steps outside the hospital, and everyone's eating each other, and oh my gosh. And so the premise becomes that the protagonist must fight and try to survive and protect human condition, and if they do something dumb, if they do something silly, a silly action will morph them and transform them into the zombie condition. So, so every zombie movie, it's, it's the exact same thing. It's that action drives condition. And so don't, don't do anything stupid, but they all do, right? They all, oh, what's in this closet, right? It's just with the flashlight, it's, just, it's the same thing. Many of us actually view uh, the human race that way. We think like, we're all good. We're all having a great time. Everyone's amazing. Oh no, this one person sinned. And so because of their sinful action, now they've been contaminated. They've been infected with sin. And so now they're gonna just turn into the sin-loving creature. Some of us actually view humanity this way. The problem is the biblical picture would, would vastly go against that imagery. The more accurate picture of humanity Biblically is that at the fall of Genesis 3, once Genesis 3 happened, the entire human race was thrust in a way that our condition was changed, that we became spiritually zombie-like creatures, if that kind of makes sense. That the very internal being, who we are, our nature was contaminated and corrupted by sin it's so that what we do is not simply what we do, but it's, it's driven by who, what, what has happened inside of us. Our spiritual fallen condition now drives our external fallen actions. So it is more than just a action problem. It is a human condition issue. Now, some of us, you might be saying things like, um, but you know when Paul says like, no one does good. I mean, really, like, no one, even if we're all fallen, we still do good things. Like, what about the person who walks an old lady across the street? What about the hardworking parents who sacrifice everything for the well-being and future of their children? I mean, aren't those good things? Aren't they noble? Absolutely. Those are noble things. They're praiseworthy things. And, and the, the fruit, like the societal fruit of those things is helpful and beneficial, and we should try to imitate those things. But I'm just saying, when we say something is good, I mean, according to whose standard, though? Like, my standard of good is very low, right? Uh, like, McDonald's, amazing <laughs> for me. It's true, true, right? Chick-fil-A, divine, <laughs> divine, right? Some of us, you haven't had fast food in a year, but I think it's amazing. I'm just saying, according to whose standard? So, for me, what I might deem to be something as good morally and so forth, God may have a very different perspective because God does not see as man sees. Man, we see with the external, but God sees the heart. Could something that is done externally well, isn't it possible that internally the motivations of the heart may be very well not good? but bad? Because does God only care about external behavior? No, he cares about the motives. So is something done for God? Is something done through God? Is something done with God? And if not, can that really be deemed as good? I think in God's eyes, he would say no. Now, uh, some of us might say, but like really no one seeks after God? Like no, not even one person. I mean, I feel like there's a bunch of re like religious spiritual, everyone's spiritual. I mean, even when I was young, I started kind of sensing that God might be out there. Everyone is spiritual, Meaning everyone seeks after something external, but that is not the same thing as everyone seeking 
the God of the Bible. See, everyone seeks a God of their own imagination. I mean, right? I mean, even nowadays, there's churchgoers who imagine a God that as long as they show up to church once in a while and give money once in a while and don't say any bad words and try to do one good deed a year, uh, God's going to be happy with them and therefore make sure that their life is happy until they show up to the pearly gates and be like, why should I let us in? And our response is going to be, well, I did the best that I could. And he goes, ding, 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 that's correct. I mean, that is an imaginatory view of God. That is not the God of the Bible. Of course we seek after spiritual things, but is the spiritual thing uh, the goddess spirit of the Bible? Not necessarily. And in fact, I think biblically, it seems like anyone who seeks after God, it's a sign that God has sought after them first. In fact, I love what Jesus said. He says in John 6, no one comes to me unless the father first draws him or her. And so no, no one seeks God, not on their own volition, not out of their fallen condition. Now, lastly, you might, you might be saying like, but aren't humans amazing? I mean, aren't, aren't we made in the image of God? Aren't we wonderfully and fearfully made? Absolutely. I have three children. They are amazing. They're beautiful. And they're zombies. No, no, no. Of course. But that's the great paradox of humanity is that we, are, we, we have the divine stamp of God in terms of being made in his image. We are wonderfully and fearfully made. But because of the fall, there is not a single part of humanity that has not been touched, tainted, infected, and corrupted by sin. Do you, do you know what theologians have called this throughout history? They've called this idea total depravity. Now, total depravity does not mean utter depravity. It doesn't mean that you're as bad as you possibly could be. But total depravity, meaning every single part of a human being has been corrupted and affected by sin. In fact, I love how R.C. Sproul, he was a theologian who is with Jesus now, and so total depravity is a, a thing of the distant past for him. I love how he explains the expansiveness of, of the human corruptions. He puts it this way. He says that the fallenness that captures and grips our human nature affects our physical bodies. That's why we become ill and die. It affects our minds and our thinking. We still have the capacity to think, but the Bible says that the mind has become darkened and weakened. The will of man, out of our volition, out of, out of how we act, is no longer in its pristine state of moral power. The will, according to the New Testament, is now in bondage. We are enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. The body, the mind, the will, the spirit, and the whole person has been infected by the power of sin. Some theologians have not called it total depravity, but radical depravity, because the word radical has uh, Latin roots, with meaning core. We're corrupt in our core being. See, the sin problem for us, it's more than just an action problem. It is a condition problem, and therefore, out of the fallen condition, there is fallen action. That's exactly what Paul says. Look with me. Notice how uh, action flows out of this fallen condition. Look at verse 13. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of ass is under their lips. The, their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. And notice how it translates into action in verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And here's the summary statement in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
Do you, know, do you notice how the totality of fallenness, our condition showing up in action, our hearts, our speech, our action, just our state of being, there is no fear of God. No one is righteous. You know, something I want you to know is, do you see the, the source of authority that Paul is using here? He's using Old Testament scripture. He's saying, this is not my idea. This is God's idea. This is what God thinks of humanity. And I don't know if you know this, but he's stringing together a bunch of Old Testament verses, some from Ecclesiastes, some from Proverbs, some from Psalm, some from Isaiah. Do you know why? Because they were all written in different times to show that all throughout history, human beings have been this way, including today. I mean, there's a lot more, you know, technological cosmetic makeup. Everything looks, you know, shinier and faster. But in our hearts, I mean, there is truly a fallenness. No one is righteous. That's what Paul is trying to hammer home here. No one is righteous. Apart from Jesus, we all stand guilty as sinners. Now, uh, I know some of us, we grew up and we're like, I know, I know, total depravity. I've heard that. I knew that when I was 10 years old uh, and so forth. But I, I, I do want us to kind of feel this this morning. And so uh, I want to kind of punch this home with a final illustration. Uh, and so if, if uh, my volunteers could kind of come on up, I, I want to kind of demonstrate something. Yeah, my volunteers. <laughs> come on up, you guys. Notice how they're slow, out of the fallenness. Okay, now, now, yeah. Okay, so, um, run this way. So uh, here's the illustration that we're gonna use. So we're gonna use our imagination for a little bit. Now, um, so here, this is Ron. You know, he, he's a primer and he, he serves college students. Amazing guy. Are you dating anyone? Okay, so just one, you know, so Joe was available. Ron just, you know, he paid me a little bit too, but... So we're going to have Ron, awesome guy, but he's going to represent, okay, now he, 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 I'm not saying he is, he's going to represent, use your imagination, he's going to represent God and his righteousness. Now I know, not even close, I got it. I'm just I'm kidding, not even close, but he's representing the holiness and perfection of God. Now uh, on this side, um, what, uh, <laughs> are you dating? No. Okay, okay. <laughs> Uh, our brother, he, you're going to represent the fallenness of man, unrighteousness of man. You're going to represent Hitler. Now, he isn't. He's amazing. He's awesome. He's not Hitler, but he's just going to represent that. Just use your imagination. Now, here, here's my, my question. If I, if I said there are these two categories, you have to place yourself somewhere apart from Christ. Where would you place yourself? See, if you're, if you're honest with yourself, you should feel a little uncomfortable right now. Because here's what you should be thinking. You should be thinking, okay, well, hold, hold. I know I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not like even close to the righteousness of God. I know I need to be as far away from the holiness of God as possible, but I'm not like as bad as Hitler. I mean, Hitler, I'm, I'm not like, th that, this is not happening. I'm not that bad. I mean, he's one of the Hitler's one of the worst uh, human beings in existence. So I'm not like here, but I know I'm not God, and so I'm not that holy, but I'm not this bad. And so here's what we do. When I say, which category would you put yourself in, we change this category and we make it into a continuum. We think this is a spectrum of righteousness. Like way holy over there, way unrighteous over here. And so I'm like, not that good, but I'm not this bad. I'm probably somewhere over here. But what Paul is saying is, apart from Christ, it's not about continuum. There is no continuum. It's not a spectrum. It's, there's just two categories. You're either as holy and righteous as God or you're just unrighteous, period. 
Does that kind of make sense? All right, can we, can we get over for these guys? Thanks, guys. I was so tempted to just have them both stand for the whole time for the remainder of the sermon. Thanks, thanks, guys. No one is righteous. No one is righteous. And so this brings us to two implications. Two implications. Here's implication number one. Implication number one is none of us, therefore, can achieve our own salvation. None of us can achieve our own salvation. Meaning, there's nothing that we can do to try to make ourselves right with God. Now, you might be saying, um, well, if God just made his standards crystal clear, I can try. You know, if God said, just do X, Y, and Z, and then, and then I can achieve it, at least that gives me a, a fighting chance. But think about this for a moment. How could we, out of our fallen condition, ever achieve the right three things to achieve salvation? In fact, you know how I know for a fact that you and I could never achieve divine standards? Here's how, how we can know. We, we cannot even keep our own standards. Don't we betray our own values and virtues like every day? So here's an example, right? Like, have you ever been driving and you see someone texting and driving and you're like, oh my gosh, I hope they get a ticket. I hope they get into like a minor accident where they don't hurt anyone or themselves, but just the inconvenience. And as you're driving, you're like, I'm so mad. And so you text your spouse and your friends. Can you believe it as you're driving? Let's be honest, we violate our own standards. Or, or, or how about this one, right? Like you hear someone slanders or gossips and you're like, I can't believe it. Can you believe, right? <laughs> that person is a gossiper. We've, we violate our own standards. Like, you know, we talk about hypocrisy. We're, we're hypocrites to ourselves. You know, we're not just hypocrites to the Christian faith. We're hypocrites to me, to ourselves. And then we think if we set up divine standards, Oh, well, I mean, if you just gave me a fighting chance, then I can try to accomplish it. Impossible. It is impossible. No one could ever achieve out of the corrupt nature of their own condition, uh, not even just fulfill their own virtues, but the virtues of God. Paul puts it this way. You don't have to turn that. I'll just read it for us. This is the final summary statement. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what's going on here? Well, Paul, that's pretty much what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, God's gracious Old Testament laws, which revealed his character, no one could be made righteous with God. No one can achieve salvation by trying to fulfill those standards. It's impossible. It's not because the laws are bad, but it reveals our sinful condition. So maybe I'll, I'll, I'll give two illustrations uh, to try to uh, illustrate this, uh, demonstrate this. So the first one is, is an x-ray. So someone at our church uh, this week, they, uh, and I got permission to share this, their foot was hurting, and so they got an x-ray, and what was discovered was they had a fracture in their foot. Now, is that the x-ray's fault? Like, thanks, x-ray, for the bad news. No, the x-ray is not bad. The x-ray is good. It exposes and it reveals the problem. So what's bad? The fracture is bad. So the condition of the fracture is what's bad. The x-ray is good because it reveals the problem. But here's the problem. The x-ray is weak. It's good in that it reveals the problem, but it is weak in that it cannot heal the fracture. 
In the same way, God's law, is it bad? No, it's good. It reveals God's nature and gracious and generous character, but it reveals our sinful condition. So can I try to, you know, save myself by accomplishing things? No, it's weak. It cannot save. Example number two, for those of us who don't like science, uh, mirrors. I just, in the morning, the mirror is not the problem. Those of us who uh, didn't laugh, I, I know I, you guys are like, I, oh, really? You're gonna, you're gonna, that's where you're going to go this morning. Um, so, you know, in the morning when I wake up, I can't blame the mirror. Th- this mess in the morning, this right here, that, that's the problem. It doesn't matter whether I get a $3 mirror from uh, the dollar store. It doesn't matter if I spend $50 at Beth, Beth & Beyond. Mirror works the same. But in the morning, this is the issue. So the mirror is not bad. This morning mess, that's what's bad. But the mirror is weak in that hands cannot extend out and fix this. It can't. God's law, amazing. His standards, good. It reveals his character. Our hearts, bad. Though this is good, it's weak to save us. It cannot. So you might be here and saying like, well, you know, I've gone to church my whole life. I've been good, and I'm a church kid, and I've, I've done the whole, like, serving and all, so forth. You going to church cannot save you. But it can reveal our self-righteousness. Well, I heard that a long time ago, and this is boring, and I already knew that already, and I've heard that sermon before. Some of us might be saying, like, well, I've never murdered anyone. And the law will reveal, no. But through your hatred, you have murdered people in your heart. Someone might be saying, well, I've never committed adultery, but the good law reveals our fallenness and says, no, but the adultery in the heart may say that we've gone to bed with a lot of people. And so the invitation this morning is twofold. One, if you're sitting here and you do not identify yourself as a Christian, we're so glad you're here. This sermon is not designed to show you just you're incompetent and terrible. The heartbeat of the sermon is that if you want to get get right with God and you're trying to earn your way into that, you just need to know there are about 2,000 years worth of people who have tried and they've realized only Jesus can. I have tried. And so the invitation is, will you give up trying to achieve right standing with God on your own? Will you quit and give up with you trying by your own effort? But the second invitation is for those who do know Jesus. And you say, I know I, I know I can't achieve my own salvation. But if that's true, does that show up to the point where any room that you walk into, you know, I, I know I've been the biggest sinner in the room. And so I've been given more grace than anyone else in this room. And so I'm going to be the most gracious, thankful, humble person in this room. Is that the attitude of your hearts when you walk into a room? To the extent that no matter who you see or encounter, self-righteousness will always be on the low end. That when you see someone who sins differently than you, right? Like, I would never sin like that. Oh my gosh, like that, that's terrible. Instead, it's, well, I know how I, know how I've, I sin. I know, I know my own uh, sinful tendencies. So if God could save someone like me, surely God could save someone like him or her. I mean, if we really believe that there's not a single thing we could do to achieve our own salvation, does that kind of bubble up and show up? out of our lives, to show up in gratitude and humility that we feel like we're the luckiest person in the world because of him. None of us can achieve our own salvation. But here's implication number two, some good news. No one but righteous Jesus 
can save us. Amen? No one but righteous Jesus can save us. Now, I can't get into this too much because we need to save the thunder for the upcoming weeks, but I, I, I do want to whet our appetite a little bit. We need to talk about Superman. Um, have you ever wondered why Superman... No, you haven't wondered. <laughs> Only I've wondered. But it's interesting how Superman is the most universal of all the superheroes. Have you noticed that? Like, you know, if, I try to talk, if you try to talk to your grandma about the Hulk and explain the Hulk, it's like, what? Like, green monster? It doesn't make any sense. But you talk to a grandma about Superman, she knows who Superman is. You talk to a little child, he knows who Superman is. You go to any other place in the world, they've all heard of Superman. Why? I have a theory. I believe that there is something about Superman that resonates with us as human beings. And, here, here's, and here's what that is. We believe that if there could be any kind of savior, if anyone in the world, it, fictional, non-fictional, it doesn't matter, if anyone could save humanity, it has to be someone like Superman. Do, do you know why I say that? See, Superman, there, there's two uh, different elements that I want to talk about. On the one hand, he's completely otherworldly. He's transcendent. He's from a different planet. He has power otherworldly. But on the other hand, he is just like us. He looks like us. He wears glasses. He works a nine-to-five job. He falls in love. There's something about Clark Kent, where he is just like us, he understands what it's like to walk in our shoes. But yet at the same time, in his very nature, he is totally otherworldly and transcendent. We believe that if there's anyone who can save us, it's got to be someone like that. Someone who is out of this world and all powerful and yet fully understands and sympathizes with the plight of the world and ourselves. Here is how Paul describes Jesus at the beginning of the the book of Romans. In chapter 1, verse 3, he describes Jesus in this way, that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of uh, God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So on the one hand, uh, he is uh, descended from David according to the flesh. He is just like us. I I mean, he was born of a woman. He He had adolescence. He went through puberty. He knows what it's like to be tired. He had to submit to his parents. He had to go to Sunday worship. He um, had to work a job. He got tired. He got thirsty. He, um, right? Everything. Everything. He, He was frustrated by people. He experienced that. He was tempted with everything that we experienced but was without sin. He knows exactly what it's like to be us. But on the other hand, he's the son of God in power. I mean, he is God who sits on the throne, he is totally otherworldly. And so when we think about Jesus, who is totally transcendent, and yet he's just like us, and he walks in the world, on the earth, and he fulfills the perfect standards of God. He lives it perfectly, understanding the struggle that we go through and the temptation and the trials, and he climbs on a cross, and he dies as if he committed your sins and my sins, and he takes the judgment of God, and he rises again, and when you place your faith in him, not only did he die uh, as if he committed your sins, but now his righteousness becomes yours. So that when God looks at you, he goes, I see the righteousness life, the righteous life of Jesus, there's gotta be something in our bones that resonates with us and says, yes, I believe that humans, I'm fallen. I feel that in my bones. 
But if there is anyone who can save us, if there's anyone who can save me, it's got to be someone like Jesus. It's got to be someone like him who is otherworldly in power, and yet at the same time, he's just like me. He knows what it's like. Surely he can save. No one can save. Righteous Jesus, he can save. So the invitation, if you're here this morning, you do not identify yourself as a Christian, would you, if there's something resonating inside of you that says, I feel like he, if there's anyone, I feel like it could be him. Would you respond to that? If you're here this morning and you're like, well, I already know that only Jesus can save me. I know that. Will you give thanks and live like you are the luckiest human being on the planet? Because you are. Because you are. So living hope, as we kind of round out uh, this uh, part of Romans, please know no one is righteous. None. We all stand guilty before God apart from Christ. But the good news is that while none of us can achieve our own salvation, living hope, no one but righteous Jesus can save us. And he not only wants to, but he is able to. So let's give praise to God for that. Let's pray. As the band comes up, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. Uh, It doesn't have to be a long response, but would you take a moment and just thank him? Uh, You know, so often our prayer life, it's telling God what to do. We're ordering God around. You need to give me this. I'm worried about that. Help me for this. Strengthen me for that. And, And of course, our God is there for us and he wants us to come to him. But what about just him? Who he is and what he has done. Uh, Again, you don't have to pray long. You don't have to use big words like total depravity. But will you say, God, thank you so much for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for saving me. And if you just aren't sure, uh, would you pray, God, if you're out there, if you're real, if you really, your righteousness can save me, God, show me. And then after a few minutes of thanking God, uh, we're going to respond together with some songs.